This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. It's the Crusader Podcast, 5th anniversary episode. That's right, five stellar installments of the podcast dedicated to the Castles of Crusades role-playing game. Your hosts, Carl Heil, Tyler Moe, and the man who started it all, Jesse Bailey. Not live from Arkansas, Missouri, or Ohio, it's the Crusader Podcast. Welcome everybody to the fifth installment of the Crusader Podcast. It's our fifth anniversary. Our fifth anniversary. And we got a topic that I'm really excited to talk about tonight. Welcome to a special broadcast of the Crusader Podcast, <laughs> the fifth anniversary episode. Well, everybody, I finally got the Adventures backpack in my hand. I know everybody was excited about it. Are you guys excited about it? Yay! I love it, man. It I had about is... 13 of those come to my house. 13? <laughs> well, convention copies. I'm out on the road a bit, so, you know. Yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah, it's it's great, and I, it's better than I thought it would be. I was afraid that it might just be a splat book, and that's definitely not what it is. It's definitely more of like an unearthed arcana. Not a doesn't it? It's a game changer, but it doesn't change the game. Doesn't change the spirit of the game. Doesn't change how the game is played. I love it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Between the the new classes that it offers, uh, from the rune mark to the archer and the arcane thief and a section on pole arms. A lot of people apparently were asking about pole arms and more information. There's the alternate uh, unarmed combat, new spells, and the backpacks, which are just going to make character creation even simpler and give you even more uh, food for thought when it comes to backpacks and not just kind of shrugging them off and say, well, I have a shoulder pack or a backpack. It's just, it, it's got that, it, it's got the amounts and the battle dogs and everything. This, this book really covers a lot, but it is. N- it's a game changer, but it doesn't have to change your game. It's just a nice add-on to uh, make CNC an even greater experience. First up for today's episode is Trollmel. So we wanted to take a look at some of the comments we've been getting on the Podbean side and just share those on the airwaves because we're just getting a lot of support from the Castles and Crusades community, and uh, it's just it just tickles the hearts of our bottoms. And uh, we want to uh, read some of those uh, on the uh, on the show. This one, I think I know who this is from, <laughs> but the username is Mirandia, uh, and she says, "Excellent intro podcast. Only one complaint: intro and especially exit music. Volume control, please. I would love overviews, opinions on modules, and also advice for someone who wants to start a group. Tips for castle keepers." Now, uh, that is something I've already addressed. Yeah, I didn't do any, I do the editing on the podcast and I didn't do any of the volume control at all on the first, um, uh, cause I just added the music at the very end in a rush being so excited to get this out there. Uh, I didn't modify the sound at all. So it was super loud. So I apologize that on the first episode, hopefully it's gotten better. If it has not gotten better, uh, please reach out to me and let me know. One here from Roy Smutley of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, that says uh, the uh, loud music actually gives the uh, first episode character. (laughs) Good old Roy Smutley. (laughs) From Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Thank you, Roy. A special troll castles and crusades salute to you, brother. I do want to read one of the other comments uh, that we got on episode one. Uh, uh, Heavy Bana, the user, Heavy Bana, commented that he's a castles and crusades fan from Korea. 
He said, this is a very interesting podcast. I hope I'd see some of you guys take on modules and experiences. The conversation itself is very informative. Great episode, guys. I have hope for this. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're all really excited about the podcast as well. And that's two people who have said, go into modules, go into experiences, talk about castle keeping. I absolutely think all of those are great suggestions and something we will certainly uh, uh, be approaching in later episodes. It's so cool that we have listeners all over the world, too. I, I thought it would just be a, a U.S. thing, and it's it's very cool that we've got a lot of international support. One of our other uh, Puerto Rican crusaders has uh, weighed in as well. Uh, thanks for the mention in the podcast, uh, Tyler Moe. We are incredibly grateful for the support by TLG, uh, Troller Games, here in Puerto Rico after the hurricane uh, for Tim. Tim Burns helped the communications director with uh, Troller Games. And for being so welcoming to us in the CNC community, Happy to be here, Roberto Micheri. And uh, we're very grateful to have you guys there. I mean, from North, uh, from Korea to uh, Puerto Rico. I mean, we're just covering all the bases. And uh, and it's nice to see the fan base extend out. I know we even have some fans over in England. Uh, Wiggy Wade Williams, a game designer that worked with Savage Worlds in his own company, has been a longtime fan of the game as well. So it's nice to see uh, some support beyond the uh, United States. And episode two, again, from my friend in Korea, Heavy Banna. Uh, you guys are like rain after a drought, producing CNC content podcasts. Couldn't recommend enough. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you again. That's two great comments on our first two episodes. And we're happy to have you and hope you're still listening. Yeah, we really do appreciate all the support we've received. And we want to keep uh, producing this content for you. And, and hopefully you will keep enjoying it. Yeah, I was telling the guys we've got all this great support, all these happy comments, and not a single hater yet. And I know there's got to be a hater out there lurking. So if you hate thank us, you for, thank you for email us and me. let us know. <laughs> yes, we'll do a hate mail episode. <laughs> All right, I've got a couple other real great ones here. Um, we did get a five-star review on iTunes, which is a big deal. Um, from Scott G.E.G., he says... Thank you all so much for doing this podcast. I've looked for years for a CNC podcast, and besides episodes here and there, on other shows, I've never seen one. It's about time the system and the Siege Engine gets the due it deserves for changing the hobby the way it has and influencing not only the OSR, but the one big game on its fifth edition. Thank you for going out of your day to give us a five-star review on iTunes. It uh, really means a lot to us. The other email I have here is from Matt Golden himself, one of the co-creators of castles and crusades elusive matt golden he says hey guys just discovered the podcast i love it great job best mac so that means a lot to hear from one of the co-creators thanks so much for listening we're you know we're looking forward to the possibility of bringing him to the crusader podcast and getting his insight as one of the uh two primary co-creators of castles and crusades Okay, now we're going to go into News from the Bogs, where we talk about news in the role-playing games and Castles and Crusades. There's not a lot of uh, uh, Castles and Crusades, Trollord Games news, currently uh, to uh, bring up. But I do want to mention something that Stephen Chenault shared. Uh, a friend of his, a geek preacher, uh, is has worked on a documentary about uh, fantasy authors J.R.R. Tolkien. C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald, um, which just caught my interest immediately because I'm a huge George MacDonald fan. I love Tolkien as well, but you hear tons of stuff about Tolkien. You know, when you, when someone mentions George MacDonald, man, my ears uh, perked right up uh, because. 
George MacDonald was a huge influence on both J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and countless other fantasy authors, I'm sure. So that's just uh, been really interesting. I've, I've watched parts of it. I have not gotten all the way through it yet because I have only uh, little windows of opportunity to watch stuff for myself. <laughs> Mostly it's it's uh, children's cartoons that are on in my house, but uh, it's so far it's just been fantastic. That's great that he's getting some spotlight because, you know, a lot of times people have heard the uh, Tolkien and Lewis stories. You know, I had even interviewed in talk radio years ago a guy with uh, Tyndale Publishing that had put out... Uh, Finding God in the Lord of the Rings, but it also talked a lot about uh, the, the relationship between Lewis and, and Tolkien as well. And so that's all well documented. But for this to uh, be going on, I think is a great thing. And and kudos to Derek White, the geek preacher, and those guys for doing it. And the name of that film is called The Fantasy Makers: Tolkien, Lewis, and MacDonald. It's on Amazon Prime. If you have a Prime membership, you can watch it, or you can purchase it as a, a DVD. And uh, it's just been fantastic to watch so far. I hope to finish it soon. <laughs> All right. So now it's time to talk about On the Front Lines, where we discuss what we've been doing in gaming recently. As for me, I've been playing in Mutant Crawl Classics games at my friendly local gaming store and also running a Castles and Crusades game there. Everybody's having a great time with that. Just leveled up to level two. So everybody's a little bit tougher, which they need because they've been getting their butts kicked recently. So, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. Thing in my game, not not a, a, a TPK, but got, I have plenty of unconscious players, including my character and everybody else. Is too long a story from the uh, Shadows of Halfling Hall and a little sidetrack with the Kobolds. Hoping to get that going again here another week or two. There have been a lot of conventions recently, uh, so we'll see how that pans out. And most of my games have been at conventions, including uh, most recently Archon in Collinsville, Illinois. It was the uh, 42nd year for Archon, which I think started out in St. Louis initially. And just a uh, hop, skip, and a jump, Illinois on the other side there. Great convention once again. Uh, you know, we had a good time. We saw a lot of familiar faces and some new players as well. A, a couple from Iowa definitely came in and some others and played in some of Andy Schwartz uh, games. Andy, of course, one of the R2-D2 builders of St. Louis, and it's one of our longtime CNC supporters and uh, CK Force that comes in from time to time. And he ran his Tomb of Dugamus, the great part one and two, and he has all these great 3D terrains, uh, you know, that he uses dungeon pieces and whatnot made from dental molds. And uh, they played in some games. I actually joined them for one of those sessions. And then I, I ran my Victorious game, uh, of course, uh, Victorious from uh, Trollord Games, the Victorian Supers game, very similar to Castles and Crusades. And we hope maybe feature that down the road at some point with uh, Mike Stewart, perhaps. But yeah, I had a good session with about four players and they really enjoyed the uh, setting itself. And of course, the ease of the siege engine even with those superpowers thrown in it was uh, quite a good time in the nights before christmas which was a uh, kind of an adventure in which uh, a group called the minutemen in new york city uh, pres presumably has been wiped out and uh, your group comes in to uh, save the day uh, taking on the evil forces of bobby yaga and that's that's a long story in itself but a great time at archon and uh, we, we look forward to it each and, and every year and it was nice to get the adventurers backpack and the hollowed oracle as well as some of our core product into the hands of uh, players new and old. And I was at Northeast Arkansas Game Fest, which is actually a uh, charity event that is run by my brother and two of my sisters. Uh, it was just fantastic fun, and I ran uh, uh, a classic module, Keep on the Borderlands, for 14 hours. I... Uh, uh, have hosted a table where people were allowed to jump in and jump out. I had 
uh, roughly 12 to 13 uh, people um, uh, throughout the day. Uh, at the most at one time was probably about nine and just went through the module uh, uh, very methodically and uh, uh, paced it to where I could get to a big finish at the end. And by the end of it, they were in the tipple of chaos trying to trying to stop the evil uh, cultists from uh, taking over the keep. And it was really satisfying game, and we had a lot of fun. All right, everybody, let's go into the prime topic. Today, it's the Adventurer's Backpack. Super excited to talk about it. Well, what are your initial thoughts about it? Well, I think there's two ways a class-based system can go. Well, I'll say this. There are uh, three ways a class-based system can go. Um, They can either have very few, very broad classes... Or they can have classes and a whole bunch of skills to tick on the box and select and finagle and move around. Or they can do it the way uh, this is uh, approaching it. Add a whole bunch of classes, which is my preferred way. Because the idea to me of a class-based system is it is about archetypes. It is about the focus on what the class can and can't do not something you build out of skills. Because to me, a class-based system is a skill-based system, and I prefer games that way because I think you muddy the waters of the kind of archetype it is when you, uh, when you add all these extra little uh, ticks and, and, and levers and buttons to push to change the character up. Yeah, I like that. Um, it never really made sense to me in other games where you have a fighter but then he's got to take athletics and he's got to take climb and he's got to take jump and all that stuff and it's like come on my guy's a fighter he should be able to do all those things yeah or like you have a cleric but you don't have knowledge religion so i guess you're not a very good cleric uh (laughs) right and the great thing about this book especially for anybody that hasn't heard about it uh, since the Kickstarter began quite some time ago and then was delivered on uh if you haven't heard about it i mean it just covers so many things new classes, uh, information on pole arms, battle dogs, uh, uh, healing, uh, counter spells, spells. There's information, obviously the backpacks, uh, the specialty backpacks that will reduce the uh, time for character creation. It just covers a wealth of information in one book, and and I think it's a great add-on. Yes, uh, CNC is primarily a two-book system, the Monster and Treasure in the Player's Handbook, but with the Castle Keeper's Guide, and something like Adventurer's Backpack, you really just can't go wrong. It covers so much, and that's whether you're doing your own home brewing or not. It gives you a wealth of information, and, and it's it's quite a bit to delve into. It's not a massive tome, but there is a lot of meat in this one that we're going to examine here on the program. First, the book really kicks off right off the bat with the classes uh, themselves, and, you know, there's, what, two, four, six, 13 or so of the classes here. You know, Arcane Thief. Archer, Divine Knight, Ethereal Knight, Forsworn, Magic Users, Oath Sworn, Pacers, Primal Druids, Rune Marks, Seekers, Scalds, Thieves, and Warrior Priests. And we're beginning to see a bit of a discussion on these on the uh, Castles Crusades uh, Facebook group. And other people, uh, I, I know there was a poll conducted. It was too early for me to take the poll, but I, I've been reading through these classes. And some of them really have a lot of flavor to them as well. And they're there have been some people raise questions about whether some of them might have some abilities that might not be for every game, and, and we hope to look into that as well. Definitely. I think one great thing about the classes is they don't step on all those archetypes from the player's handbook. 
there's a few similar ones like the thieves and the rogues but there's not duplicates you know there's they're all different from the characters in the player's handbook and it, it definitely gives you more options and they're not x class but better that would have that would be the real problem if the thief was just demonstrably better than the rogue then anybody who's playing a rogue would look over at the thief and go well come on man what like why why am i what am i doing over here so Mm -hmm. it 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 being something that kind of just complements each other and it's it's essentially just a little bit more of an old school take on that type of class uh but it doesn't wash out the rogue class because it exists yeah same thing with the magic user it's not a wizard it's quite a bit different the magic user you know they they have the ability to channel magic they're kind of drawing uh, magic from the world around them and, and channeling for their, their own usage. And uh, they do have some abilities that they use as well, like detect magic and locate magic item and read magic, uh, use magic and identify. And, and they can use these a bit more frequently, I guess, than most. And you're not taking it necessarily as a, a slot for those, as I recall. And uh, even a magic transfer at, at, at level eight. So, yeah, the magic user itself is... Uh, not just some other name for wizard when if, if that's what you're thinking initially because a lot of times it wasn't uncommon in uh, the old D games to uh, say oh i've got my fighter magic user and you're just thinking well it's a fighter wizard you know or whatever it's it's definitely not that so i, I think it's great that they've kind of done that and then and then even other uh, classes like the arcane thief which uh, i was getting uh, kind of a uh, you know some uh, good comments from people you know some originality there and it'd be interesting to see what people do with that class I desperately want to play a dwarf rune mark. <laughs> like it's, it's all I'm thinking about right now is when can I play a dwarf rune mark in a game? Because that's just way up my alley. <laughs> Interestingly enough, about the uh, the rune mark of these classes in the um, adventurer's backpack, it is the only one that is actually statted up through, and I'll make sure about this. Uh, statted up through uh, 27th. level twenty four. Twenty seventh. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Hang on. No, I'm lying. I'm lying. Don't listen to me, Tyler. Don't see. You're right. 24 is correct. I am a liar. I was reading the number of runes per day. <laughs> uh, a lot of the other classes in the Castle Keeper's Guide, the uh, Player's Handbook classes, were uh, statted levels uh, 13 to 24 as far as their class abilities from 13 through 24. And uh, now the other classes in the Adventurer's Backpack at this point are going to just go up to level 13, and then they give you the suggested experience or or whatever per level from 13 and up just as the uh, player's handbook does for castles and crusades. I can't get over the scald. He's my favorite class in here. At first I thought I was going to be the archer, but for me, this guy takes a cake. I mean, he's got magic body paint that gives him armor class, which I think is cool. He, when he hits people, he absorbs health points from the hit points from them. He can speak with Fay. I mean, he's, He's actually a cool bard. I never thought that I'd ever want to play a bard. Yeah, and it looks like they've not uh, tried to make him uh, more powerful as far as hit dice, at least with the uh, bard in Castles of Crusades uh, Player's Handbook. I know that one's a D10, and this appears to be a a D10 as well. But it's certainly going to, for people that may be opposed to bards or a little on the fence about it, yeah, it it just looks really cool. And uh, it seems like this warrior priest is uh, probably... Well, uh, you know, with what they do with it, you know, you uh, have uh, cure wounds each day. I think the starting equipment, uh, you, you start with at least chain mail or a choice and you get two weapons of choice, no matter the cost and, and a war horn as well. So there are all these really cool things and then holy symbols. 
if you carry them at, at level five uh, associated with a god of your pantheon in the battle, then you get this uh, plus one bonus to strength and constitution and dexterity attribute checks and by one to four allies and, and so forth. I mean, it's just really cool. I think the warrior priest, uh, you know, I certainly haven't played it yet, to, but I think it's really going to be cool for people looking for more of that war priest angle. To me, the warrior priest uh, is, is it the answer to the old school paladin? You know, because in season, I like what they've done. They've they've taken spellcasting away from paladins and rangers, um, and uh, so the warrior priest is kind of that spellcasting paladin. It, it is essentially the role it fills. I agree with you, but here. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking at the warrior priest, and I was like, "This is just a paladin. Why? Why are they doing this?" But then I remembered the paladin in in Castling Crusades doesn't cast spells. Um, so this is kind of actually analogous to a 5th edition Paladin, because they get spells from the beginning, unlike old editions where Paladins didn't get spells until like 8th, ninth level, I think. And now this is outside of the other classes, which I'm sure we'll continue to focus on, but uh, there is a section, page 78 and 79 and so forth, where you've got magic and classes, where you can have the Bard as a spellcaster, and they give you the experience point progression and spells per day, and a list of spells all the way up for, you know, for bards all the way up from zero through uh, fourth level, at least. And the ranger as a spellcaster as well. And I believe there's one other, the, the, the paladin for sure as well. And it does a similar thing with the experience point progression spells per day and the uh, spells up to level four. So that kind of uh, harkens back, I guess, for some people to some older uh, gaming as well. And it's just one option that you could use in your game uh, as it relates to the classes. It's not all just about, you know, the new classes, but what you can do with some existing classes in Castles and Crusades as well. Now, there was a discussion, and of course we could get really deep on this, where somebody was, I think it's at Ethereal Night, where somebody mentioned where they thought, oh, but they've got this maybe 8th level plane shift ability that could be OPP, or not OPP, but OOP or whatever. <laughs> um, one person... Um, thought that they maybe thought by even up as, as far as level six on the archer that maybe the class is not powerful powerful enough but i it's too early to say I mean, i'm sure that person maybe rolled up a higher level archer perhaps or something but i did hear a couple of comments of that nature uh and i'm sure that'll be more of a discussion later on i'm looking now at the uh flipping divine knight and as near as i can tell he's like a cleric sorcerer but so what I mean spell, by that is he has spell points, not spell slots, and he 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 basically casts uh, these spell-like abilities uh, uh, using mana. So so similar to a sorcerer in third, fourth, and fifth, uh, but but it seems to be divine magic, max spell level cast. I guess we could talk about him. I would bet I don't know this for sure. That that could be a Jason Vay uh, class possibly just because of the mana if it's using the mana points from the uh castle keeper's guide perhaps because that that was a jason vay section of the of the castle keeper's guide i wanted to take a peek at it real quick because i was like i didn't even see that and i just talked about the uh warrior priest and i was wondering how the divine knight was different it's 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 crazy to me how i'll see these and like well this is clearly just going to be exactly like this other class and they're totally not <laughs> and they do manage to be their own separate thing and i i uh, uh find that i find it interesting how many options there really can be when we deal with these kind of class archetypes because um 
you know, the, the argument is either you don't need as many as you do or there's uh, the class system isn't good enough. Uh, so we modify it. But I, I really like it this way so much where it's just you are a rune mark or you are a primal druid. I mean, I feel like it's so much more evocative to say that than to say, well, I'm a wizard, but I specialize in this and I put two points in that. It's, it's not as fun to me. Yeah, and then with some of these, you know, because I, I have seen a few uh, discussions here and there about maybe whether it was the ethereal knight that maybe has a plane shift ability that they thought, and, I, and maybe that comes in at level eight for the ethereal knight, where, ooh, that could really be uh, quite a big boon in game, or what is the guy just going to, you know, zap himself out of there into some other, you know, area and then come back or, or whatever. And, you know, in, in, in time will tell on these as people play these uh, classes and whatnot, but some of them may not be for all occasions, much like in any game or with Castles of Crusades, for example, the knight may not always be something you might use in certain campaigns, or maybe a druid if you're in a city campaign is not going to be uh, the class to use. You know, I, I guess they could all, you know, uh, some of the classes could uh, be like that, so that some of these might require a, a, a more detailed look or, or the hand of a castle keeper to say okay we're gonna do this but or you know maybe they will tweak or whatever it's, it's hard to say but you know, there's a lot of flavor in these classes no doubt yeah he actually gets that plane shift at third level it's a third level the ethereal knight <laughs> is able to plane yeah. shift they can travel to any point on any plane with which they have familiarity or knowledge including the astral and ethereal planes that is very powerful so as to me that 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 speaks to a play style where where I am very methodical in how I handle travel in my games and it's really bad to be out at nighttime in my games um like you would much rather be in an inn somewhere than camping out at night so um but some people just don't want to mess with that at all <laughs> and so I, I mean I don't I don't begrudge them that you know and so as long as the group is working together you can't really have somebody who just um is too op because you're you're trying to find the same solution i, I mean i think some of that has to be managed by the castle keeper in, in managing those expectations and providing interesting and challenging things for the whole group even if one has a powerful ability and one doesn't you can still manage that in an interesting way um, without making one the primary protagonist of the narrative. Right, because there's always going to be some sort of unbalance. I mean, you could theoretically roll up a character that's got two or three 18 stats, you know. Um, the character's going to be better at certain things. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and and we were talking earlier about how they, you know, there's a bit of a difference when you think, well, this is just going to be another one of this class with a little of this or a little of that in Bamo. It's a new class, but... You know, even uh, I guess it's Mark Sandy's uh, Primal Druid, you know, and Stephen Chanel, of course, talked about that when he was on our third installment of the Crusader podcast. And if you haven't listened to that one, def definitely want to check that out. Uh, you know, even the Primal Druid ha has a way of separating itself from the uh, the normal Druid, if you will. And uh, much as the thief kind of separates itself in more of an older school uh as opposed to just the rogue and not to say if there's anything wrong with the rogue and you, know, you guys talked about the rune mark earlier and for anybody that has that that rune lore book that has been discontinued as of late there is a uh, 16 
Hard Adventure Path, it may still be available in PDF, and if you have a physical copy of that, that relates to the rune. So if you have that, that's a great 16-part adventure path you could use with the rune mark uh, right out of the box, uh, so to speak. And, of course, all the rune spells are represented here in the, the Adventurer's Backpack. I, I think all in all, the Adventurer's Backpack is shaping up to be a really fine book as, as it relates to the classes uh, from, from what I've seen here and some of the early reports we're getting from people on the Castles of Crusades Facebook group. And uh, in, in some of them you may uh, choose not to use, many of them you may use, and it's just a nice uh, uh, other class toolkit in your arsenal of Castles and Crusades books. And uh, with that, I guess we could move into the uh, backpack section, uh, hence the name Adventurer's Backpack. And for me, this was going to be one of the big things from the book as well, just to simplify character creation with these backpacks and to get people thinking more about what items they might actually purchase. Uh, some people kind of shrug it off. Yeah, I think it's great that it's it's all there ready to go. You just pick one, write down everything, and you're equipped. You don't have to spend an hour and a half. It feels like some people want to go through every single item in the book and, and do all the math and and everything like that. This is just, boom, this is what you got. Everything's ready right there for you. Yeah, uh, and the uh, starting coin, I know this is a little thing, but the starting coin is right here on page 42 for your archer and oath sworn or your seeker and the scald and so forth, uh, much like it would be in the Castles of Crusades book for generating uh, your die roll at times 10 or whatever for your starting gold and then the equipment tables themselves. And uh, the, these backpacks are just really awesome. And just some of the ideas they came up with, uh, you know, for easy release of backpacks and combat, because you'll hear people... It's it's kind of crazy sometimes when you think about okay I'm carrying all this heavy crap on my back you know <laughs> and uh, and and I'm just gonna shrug it off in the middle of battle I'm gonna carry all this uh, mountain of, of of items in my in my backpack and I guess you kind of have to kind of you know keep it reined in depending upon your campaign but they really kind of get uh, deep into uh, these expert backpacks where you can uh, make a with a quick release mechanism and they get into a number of seconds it takes and if you make a certain dexterity check if you want to use that sort of thing and the challenge level of said dexterity check to uh, remove these items i think it's great for new players too people that have never adventured in a dungeon before when it comes to equipping their character they might not know what to purchase or or why is marbles a thing to buy in the book you know um so this simplifies that for them too like here you go I want to mention this real quick. Uh, it's not part of the backpack. It's actually the equipment list. Uh, one thing uh, the Troll Lord has done here that, uh, to me, is uh, unheard of uh, in prior versions of any role-playing game is they've added stuff to the equipment list, but reprinted a full equipment list that includes both the base stuff and the new stuff. Thank you, Trolls! That's amazing. I, I mean, that's just fantastic to actually have it all in one place, one single reference. The Battle Axe and Longsword, they're still in this equipment list, but the new stuff is as well, and that's just awesome. Yeah, that's right. That's that's one thing I did notice early on, and uh, that'll be uh, handy for uh, people using this book and uh, picking from these uh, backpacks. Adventurer's Backpack uh, has, uh, you know, expert backpacks. They, they cover so many different things from... Uh, dungeon basic backpack or an expert backpack and then it gets into uh the internal contents of those and if you use uh the weight generally uh castle of the crusades lists a uh an amount of pounds for items and packs and so forth way if you want to just eyeball the weight 
and decide what somebody can carry and what penalties they might suffer you can. Or it also has the encumbrance value listed if you use the castles and crusades encumbrance value system, which I think that system's been in its current form for about three printings of the player's handbook now. And, and that's really nice. I, I do use the encumbrance value. It can get a little mathy or a little bit in the uh, bookkeeping realm to some extent, but it's, it's kind of nice to have that here and then just have uh, not only what's in the pack, but some of the things that would be the external contents or the internal contents. And then it just covers packs for overland, uh, cold weather, mountain, seafaring, desert, and then a, a brewmaster, a mending pack, artisan pack. There's some sort of medic pack as well and a sage pack. And I think it gets into a class-based expert uh, packs as well for the thief and the arcane thief and the assassin and so forth. And th what a tremendous resource. And I do believe that some of the, uh, the backpack cards are now shipping from Troll Lord Games. And that will hopefully be available for sale to the general public as well. I don't, I don't have those yet. That's going to be a nice resource at the table for people to use. So adventurers backpack, you got your adventurers with these new classes and then backpacks. And, and we've certainly covered some of that here. I think you'll really be pleased. Uh, pony packs uh, for the pack animals as well. They don't include one for the walrus, but we do have the uh, mule and the uh, ponies covered. You'll have to adjust on the fly for the walrus. Well, I had to mention the walrus since one of our uh, faithful uh, Crusader podcast listeners uh, brought up brought up the walrus. Uh, I don't <laughs> think he's he the walrus, as I recall, is not mentioned in the uh, as one of the war mounts in the adventurer's backpack. So I'm going to have to talk to Stephen Chenault about that. But other than that, uh, pretty pretty well pleased. A section here where they get into using equipment as well, reusing bandages. I mean, we could go on and on. Uh, Tyler, you mentioned the cards um, for the adventurer's backpack. I think those are going to be so cool because you don't even have to write everything down. You're making up a new character, you can just pull out that deck of cards. As long as you don't lose any, that's what I'm nervous about. You just throw that card down in front of you and your character's equipped. You have everything right there. I'm all in favor of that. And, and, and those cards, I think, are going to be fantastic to kind of have it right there in front of you. And it's just going to make character creation already simpler than it is in C&C. And then what are you looking at after that? Just picking some spells if you're one of the spellcaster. And then you're otherwise you're simplifying things a great deal if you're able to use these pre-made backpacks. I guess another section we could focus on from the Adventurer's Backpack is just a one-page section, but it's a great section. Uh, Stephen Chenault, I think, even alluded to this one on episode three of the Crusader podcast regarding unarmed combat, uh, written by Davis Chenault, this uh, particular section. You may or may not recall that Stephen had indicated that he thought um, uh, the way that pummeling and overbearing and grappling was laid out in the player's handbook is pretty decent. I mean, no offense, there's probably one version of grappling from the fantasy game sometime in the 2000s. It was maybe four pages long, but no, no stab there. So I think CNC certainly comes in ahead of that, having only been a, a paragraph or two without my PHB right in front of me. But I think that some of these things are simplified a bit more. Uh, as I recall, wasn't it where you have, if your strength is a prime, or if the defender's strength is a prime, the uh, target number essentially will be this. And if it's a secondary, it will be this. It's not super convoluted, but I think Stephen Chenault, not to totally speak for him, wanted something a bit simpler. And I think Davis maybe has accomplished that here, although either Method PHB or the Adventurer's Backpack may work for you. Long story short, let's move into this first one, pummeling. And of course, this is striking by fist, feet, you know, knees, elbows, head, so forth. Um, you are essentially going to uh, make a roll to hit. 
you'll add all of your appropriate modifiers based to hit, strength, or any others that could apply. And then if the roll equals or surpasses the opponent's armor class, you know, a hit is scored. And then the damage would be one plus the attacker's strength bonus. And it's not uh, said directly, but I, I think it's implied or assumed that that is subdual damage, obviously. And, and I clarified with David Chenault recently in some uh, Facebook messaging just to make sure uh, that nobody would be doing any uh, sort of monk damage with their hands. Uh, and, and that is the case. I, I think it's kind of a nice way that I leave it up to people to decide if, if the player's handbook uh, version is more for you on pummeling or if the uh, one from the ABP is the way to go. They also have it here uh, for those of you that use critical hits from the Castle Keeper's Guide. If you use those, they have a pummeling critical hit table, kind of numbered one through five, where you might on a one, uh, a number one, break opponent's nose, plus two damage, or anything four, which is the groin punch. Opponent must make a constitution save or double over for one round. It, it reminds me of being 13 and a half years old again when we played the TSR <laughs> Indiana Jones game. And they had all the silhouettes, those black and white drawings of Indiana Jones and Wuhan and, and Sala and Marion and all of them. And they never had the groin location. So we always added it to the game as we uh, played that evening. Uh, but ne neither here nor there. I'm sure you needed uh, to know that. But yeah, they, they covered all here with that pummeling critical hit table if you do use those. And there, of course, is you know a section here or a passage about if a critical fumble occurs, you suffer one point of damage uh, from bruised knuckles. So that, that's kind of nice, and I, and I think it simplifies it even more versus the PHB. Uh, with the grappling here, it, we, we all know what the grappling is, and uh, in this, um, you're making a roll to hit, and you're adding any appropriate modifiers, uh, the base to hit, strength, and any others that the uh, castle keeper might deem necessary, and a successful hit indicates the opponent is pinned. Once again, it appears to be against that, uh, that armor class instead of saying, well, if it's a prime, it's this, or if it's a secondary... It's that, and uh, it seems to me fairly straightforward. They do have a, a, a sentence here about if a critical fumble occurs, you know, the attacker would miss their roll entirely and stumble or lose initiative in the following round, that sort of thing. And then they have that one through five, numbers one through five grappling critical hit table. Uh, one of the uh, uh, results could be that uh, arm lock and twist, opponent make uh, save for dislocated shoulder, take 1d4 damage, for example. And so they give you those little, uh, uh, a little bit of fleshing out there for those of you that use that uh, critical hit option. And then finally, overbearing, uh, you make the to hit roll and all appropriate modifiers to the roll once again, bonus to hit and so forth. And if it's successful, you know, the opponent is not prone. So it kind of just simplifies uh, some of these a bit more. And I want to say that grappling was for sure the one that was a little bit more if you want to say involved, even though it was only a paragraph or two in the PHB. And I think by hitting that armor class, it, it just really simplifies it. Once again, you've got the critical fumble here that could happen if you use that. And if you use critical hits from the Castle Keeper's Guide, you've got your numbers one through five. And one of them could be, uh, well, we'll go with this one. Number two, knee groin. Uh, opponent goes down, loses all actions following round. And uh, number five would be like, for example, clothesline opponent. They are uh, knocked prone onto their back, plus 1d8 damage. So I think it's a nice, concise, one-page section uh, for alternate unarmed combat rules. Like I said, they're not that difficult in the player's handbook, but I think it's even more straightforward, these changes. And quite frankly, I, I intend to use these in my game versus the ones in the PHB. Yeah, Tyler, I like these too. Every time somebody tries to do an unarmed attack, I have nightmare flashbacks to the third edition of that one game. 
and um cnc makes it easy though and i like i like the uh adventures backpack section um because it keeps the easiness but it also gives you a few other options and i like the charts too i i i think what i would do is make everything subjual damage except critical hits where you're possibly doing loads of damage because accidents happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> accidentally beat a guy to death. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, capture this kobold. Oh, I throat punched him and collapsed his windpipe. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I like um, that there are so many pole arms in this book because as legend has it, um, Gary was really, really, really into pole arms and that's one of the reasons why one of the earliest versions of that other game has so many pole arms and so just kind of uh moving that forward it seems almost like a homage or an ode or just a a friendly nod of the hat to certain people who are in the know of that this is a part of the history of the game i never knew there were so many (laughs) all the list in in first edition but yeah, I, I mean, it's. I always thought it was just a stick with an axe on it, and that was good enough. Like, if it was a halberd or that one that starts with a B that I can never pronounce. A couple of Scottish pole arms that you can use in your aired game, because there's a Scotland there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them have a photo that goes along with them. It's nice to be able to see them and kind of see the subtle differences. Uh, yeah, man, just, just looking at these is almost like a trip down memory lane, because I remember all of these being in the uh, older version of the fantasy game. Um, so like, yeah, just seeing stuff like the Beck to Corbin, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. It's just, it's just, uh, puts a smile on my face. The Scottish lock bar, the thing looks like a can opener for a person. Of course, that next section of the book, and this is just another great section, is, uh, battle mounts. I mean, they cover it all. You've got the war horse and the various types of war horses. So they break it down. Even the, the mule is in that, uh, list of four from the courser. And, and, and the Rouncey and, and others. And then they get into examples of other war mounts, the camel, war ponies, war boar, the bear, and, and, and so forth, a war hound. I'm a little disappointed that the walrus was not included since it is on the uh, player's handbook uh, transport and tack list for 350 gold. But we'll, we'll let it slide. And you can use these as a guideline perhaps to stat your own walrus uh, with the <laughs> monsters and treasures of Aird as the walrus is fully statted in that book. So you, you can totally go for it, but no, it is a great section that gives you a little more about battle mounts and how to uh, uh, better uh, handle that sort of scenario in your game. Whether you're running maybe your own uh, homebrew uh, campaign or if you're using uh, published modules, there's nothing wrong with this. A lot of them can be overland and dungeoneering in particular, or in some keep or castle, or occasionally a city. And this kind of gets down into what if you want to delve more into uh, using battle mounts and, and doing something a little off the beaten path. And perhaps this would even apply as much or more so for some of those classes like the knight. Not to say that it's merely just for the knight only, but uh, a class like that where they get to shine perhaps a bit more. And maybe this information will be beneficial to kind of uh, giving them a little more use, whereas sometimes a knight or certain classes aren't always for every occasion. I like it, and I like how there's a lot of useful text that goes with it, too. It's not just a stack block, stat block. So, for instance, like the bear talks about, I mean, you can ride a bear, you can ride a bear into battle, um, but that's not an easy thing, you know. It, it goes into all that. It's it's not just another horse. You know, and, and we're forgetting even the section on guard dogs and feeding mounts and feeding dogs and so forth, uh, especially for those of you that have that wild dog or that red panda fox that uh, 
my girlfriend has in our campaign. Hmm. Uh, you know, maybe this will give you some insight as far as feeding it and what what kind of uh, if you want to keep it a bit realistic, but on some very simple charts where they show like pasture, hay, alfalfa, corn, and how many pounds per day they would need. So you can go as deep as you want, but it gives you some information not always contained in some role playing sources. So I think it's a, a fine, very brief section here on the uh, war mounts and these and these animals as well. One of the things I really love about this book is the spells. Um, I remember Steve talking to Gary Khan about how he was working through the spells and how he wanted them to be different, um, not just a renamed spell. And I think he's excelled at that. Um, one thing that's really cool is, Carl, you mentioned how they put the items from the player's handbook still in with the new equipment. Well, they've done a cool thing here where they list all the old spells for mm -hmm. and the player's handbook page so you right. can flip right to it um and then they expand on all the new spells and a lot of them are very unique and very utilitarian too one of the first ones that jumps out is uh, accurate measure so you can de actually determine the amount of space between two things it's it's really neat like there's a lot of them that would you could actually see people using in a real fantasy world and Carl, I, I can't help but think about how much of an old school D and D guy you are. I mean, both of you guys, and and even I myself, uh, they have a section, Carl, that I'm sure it was probably a favor of yours, where you can uh, do the bard and other classes as spellcasters as it was in the old days. I I appreciate those sections for people that want it, but one of my favorite things about Castles and Crusades is actually removing the spellcasting ability from those classes. Um, you know, I I think a lot of those ideas and ideals are kind of esoteric. Like the reason Rangers have spells is because in OD and D in a, in a, in a strategic review, I think um, the Ranger ended up with cleric spells. And the reason that is, is because Aragorn is a healer in Lord of the Rings. That's the only reason and they changed it to magic user spells in AD and D but there's there's no real reason why a, uh, a ranger would have spells. I love the non spellcasting uh, classes uh, <laughs> that they have for uh, the bard, the ranger, and the paladin. I think it's a lot cleaner. Um, but the fact that they included and they include the full spell list and the player's handbook uh, page number to locate it, and I just love the way Castles of Crusades. Um, outlines their spells on their uh, primary spell list. It's such a it's such a real uh, the amount of consideration uh, for player ease. I just really appreciate that. I mean, I can I can recall and run most of these spells just based on this little uh, description under them in the index. Um, but then you can go to the page number for the full listing. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great thing that they've done to kind of. Uh, emulate older versions of the fantasy game um, down to the level at which these uh, classes ended up with the spell. Um, and I like that they're giving them their own spell lists as opposed to, uh, you know, a ranger getting just magic user spells at a, at a certain level. It's it's a, a nice way to handle it where it makes a spell casting ranger not just feel like a multi-class character. It makes them feel like Oh, they have their own strengths and own weaknesses, and it uh, emulates kind of the the fantasy ideals that have grown out of D and D, as opposed to um, kind of emulating the pre D and D literature. 
Yeah, and they've got these uh, great tables here as they would in the player's handbook uh, with the optional bard experience point progression and spells per day. So you can see it all the way from levels 1 to 24 for the bard and the ranger and the paladin. And uh, so it's a nice little touch to have that in there for people that want to explore that option or may have used to do that in some older versions of uh, the fantasy game. So once again, something you don't have to use. And I'm kind of like you. I, I, I think I maybe prefer the, the later versions, CNC and some other games perhaps, where they are not spellcasters. But I think it's I think it's a great thing and something that somebody can do. And it just uh, brings a little more uh, diversity of uh, characters or even within the same character class that maybe you could have a ranger who doesn't do any of that or maybe uh, a ranger who does. So I, I think that's fantastic. Just goes back to Castles and Crusades being whatever game you want it to be. You know, you can run with any of those options. I got to poke fun at the spell on page 123, though. Oh, boy. Polecat Musk. Um, the druid summons forth a spray of noxious musk akin to that of a skunk. That's both hilarious and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> I'm a little upset. Polecat Musk is the name of my cologne. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't think of my character bars. being real serious and be like, I'm going to musk him, right? Like that. <laughs> my dad gave me a bottle of old uh, polecat musk back in 1982. <laughs> hey, a druid would think it was totally normal, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is an obvious spell you would, you would have, the uh, polecat musk, right up there with pelt of suffrage. Even more choices for your castles and crusades game, you know, uh, illusionary weather. Uh, Harrier, there's just so many here. Earth and Void, you know, and, and Illusionist and Druid are, are given some love here as well. You know, the Cleric and, and so many others. Uh, Deific uh, pro, uh, Protection and uh, Comfort uh, and Contain Fire. So some of these will be zero level and uh, varying levels. But it's nice to see yet another section of spells for the uh, Castles of Crusades game. So uh, 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 here's a little bit of uh, Castles of Crusades sense of humor. I love this spell. Level zero Illusionist spell. Instant coffee. Instant coffee. <laughs> Turns any cup of water instantly into a hot cup of coffee. Wait a minute. I don't believe this. Did I miss that one a while back? There Page it is. 118. <laughs> We're not making fun of these. This is great. Yeah, you could you could just quit adventuring right there and just open up a Starbucks. Instant <laughs> coffee. Instant coffee over and over again. This wait, is a minute, wait a minute, I found another flask of Dr. Pepper. No. <laughs> if you know the Troll Lords, that is especially Stephen Chenault's drink of choice. In a can only. No, Joking no. aside, though, there are a lot of really great ones in here. Flight of the Fae. Um, uh, hold on, hold on. Oh, we got another one? No, 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 no. Instant coffee is one of the great ones. <laughs> what? What, the caffeinated coffee is in here somewhere? Oh, no. Ugh. That's that's uh that's when you cast it uh, as a reverse spell. That's not even zero level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Fly, Flight of the Fae, you were saying? Yeah, Flight of the Fae. It's a level six druid spell. This spell transforms the druid or the target into scintillating dust, allowing them to travel great distance very quickly. I think I think that's cool. Like that's it's kind of like a teleportation spell, but it's not right. You're not stepping from one place to another. No. You still have to travel. There's a cleric and druid spell here called half damage recipient of this spell is partially protected from a particular type of damage so it's, it's kind of like a resistance thing but you could be slashing weapons or something you know slashing piercing bludgeoning abrasion falling compression fire something like that hmm. now not to be outdone by cup of coffee there is the level nine wizard and illusionist spell soul wrench 
The spell the caster is able to lock a target with his gaze and to wrench the creature's soul or spirit from its body and cast it to the outer planes. Top that, cup of coffee. <laughs> That's vicious. That's... I know it is. Another one real quick I, I really like is Find Lost Thoughts. Now, cleric, Druid, Wizard, or Illusionist is a zero-level spell, and I think it's super handy because there's so many times when, when your players forget something and like you might drop a hint like that they, they're forgetting something but they can't remember. And it always kind of sucks to tell them like, oh, well, this, and like replay it. Um, somebody can cast this spell and then you can tell them and, and their characters actually cast a spell to, to remember whatever they forgot. And I think that closes like um, a suspension of disbelief issue there. I really like that. And if you're listening to us, you found all sorts of lost thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, going through all these sections, each one of the sections we've gone through is worth buying the book for. Even if you don't lose, if you, even if you don't use anything else, just the spells is worth the cover price for the book. Yeah, and, and not to mention the classes, the pre-made backpacks, which are turning out to be a, a hit with a lot of people. And, and of course, uh, with magic comes magic item. And there certainly are some here uh, in, in this book as well. And, and, a, and a new approach to magic items where you may have charges or breakage that can occur as well. And also the wearing down of some of these magic items. And there are quite a few different uh, new magic items here like the bee sting dart or a uh, constricting whip, sundering mace, uh, just um, among a few, some armor, helm of the bull, marvelous shield among others and a uh, table of miscellaneous uh, magic, which are several items there, vestment of miracles and serpent gloves and, uh, melodies, decoration, and so forth. One of the magic items that is cool to me is uh, it's called Box of Caltrips, which doesn't sound magical, uh, but it's a it's a pretty large, hefty box with a hundred caltrops in it. But when you um, upend this box and dump it out, it magically spreads out in the most efficient way. So they're essentially just plus one caltrops. But I I like the imagery of that, just the idea of, of dump it out of the box and they just like fall perfectly where they need to be and then you you wave your hand and you collect them back in the box they just fly back in there it's just kind of a neat way to to handle something that's that that is a mundane item for the most part but just gives it some kind of cool effects and of course i mentioned the bee sting dart earlier and it's a magic dart it's activated when used once again in this case by a rogue or an assassin has a plus three bonus to hit uh, can require a constitution check at negative three. And if failed, uh, the victim takes double damage from the attack. And it's just some of what it does. It gets into a deeper section on an unhealed wound, subtracts uh, one to two points from the victim until the wound is healed. And even removing the dart can cause uh, two to four points of damage as well. So some of these really have a little bit of meat to them, but it's not so overwhelming that you're reading 10 paragraphs about the uh, bee sting dart or the box of caltrips. Uh, some are a couple of paragraphs here in just... Uh, breathe some uh, new life with some new uh, magic items for Castles and Crusades. I think the Marvelous Shield might be my favorite one. Um, your guy has a shield, and when the shield gets hit, it produces 1d4 gold pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. it's cool. And, I mean, I can imagine, like, a goblin or something hitting your shield, and gold just falls out of it. That's That's got to be a shocking, shocking thing. Um, and it's cool that there's a stipulation in there that the person that hits the shield has to be trying to kill you. So you can't just sit there and produce yeah. gold all day long. I, I think it's cool. 
And so the the last section of the book is uh, the known planes, which covers um, planes of existence within the world of castles and crusades, as well as uh, pocket dimensions and other realms. Uh, uh, some information to continue on uh, creating your own, um, uh, or and uh, pocket dimensions and other realms that exist within magic items. And one can only hope that this uh, three or four page section on the uh, planes may be uh, a bit of a preview of what Stephen Chenault was alluding to in episode three of the Crusader podcast about eventually doing a book of the planes. And uh, on page 143, the last page of the adventurer's backpack, there appears to be an optional weapon bonuses versus armor class table. So weapons are said to be designed for a purpose and below are optional rules for weapon to hit bonuses for castles and crusades against armor worn. So overall, what are we thinking about the Adventurer's Backpack, guys? I love it. I'm going to use it for sure. I think there's plenty of good use here. And, you know, because some of us have only had this book for maybe two months, and I've been on the convention circuit a bit and and running games and, and naturally work going on and everything else. But it's been nice to kind of delve into this book a bit more, just as when you first got the Castle Keeper's Guide, and that's an even heftier tome, and you're trying to take it all in. And this is another one of those books that you're going to – just see a little bit here and a little bit there, especially maybe people are looking at those classes or the backpacks at first. And then when you dig deeper, you're finding even more things of use for your castles and crusades game. I, I, if I may say so, I think they, they knock it out of the park with this one and time will tell, you know, how all the spells will work out and, and all of these other options for your castles and crusades game. I love the callbacks to old school. Uh, I love the classes that emulate those, people who want to emulate those. I love the new classes. I, I'm a little bit surprised with myself how much I want to play an archer or a rune mark, but I, I do. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm usually a dwarf fighter. I, I, uh, <laughs> I play pretty simple characters, but man, I want to try one of these new ones now. Well, we did uh, take time to at least make the archer and get to try that out a little bit in one of my demo games at uh, Game Holcom. Thanks everybody for joining us for our fifth installment of the Crusader Podcast. We got a lot more to come. We got some exciting things in the works, and we can't wait to get it out there for you. Some games may change, but the Castles of Crusade Siege Engine remains the same. What is that section called? The 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 response section where we read emails or whatever. We never named it. That's that's because <laughs> we, we couldn't come up. Remember, we couldn't come up with a good name. Um, um, ah, oh, jeez. Um, yeah. What is a good name? Troll mail. <laughs> I think troll mail is fine. I don't troll know. mail. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's kind of. Kind of like a jokey pokey thing, like they're trolling us, but they're not actually trolling us. They're all really nice. <laughs> Trollmel. 
Troll Mail, the segment where we answer real mail from real trolls. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. You guys aren't trolls. <laughs>